Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. I was super excited to talk to today's guest because he is the founder of Clearbit, Alex McCaw. Clearbit is software that we had gotten excited about in the tech community a few years back because what it would do is it would magically take an email address and then tell you about the person behind the email address. So if somebody filled out a form on your site, if somebody was in your database, whatever it was, you could know more about them. And then it started getting integrated into the software we use. And so suddenly, magically, if I had someone's contact information, I didn't have to stumble around to figure out who they were or go to LinkedIn and search. It was in the app. And then they expanded from that to do all kinds of business intelligence. Incredible success story. I wanted to talk to him about that. And I didn't think I would talk to him about his newest company, which is Reflect. I said, this is new. It's nice. But that's not what I do. I talk about the past, how someone got there for an audience of people who want to succeed like my guest. But freaking A, this guy hit something with Reflect. It is a note-taking app that will let you capture what you've done today with an eye towards understanding how what you're doing can be useful in the future for both understanding what works and what doesn't for you and at the same time for just having a record of where you were and what you did. I don't think I could do it justice explaining it. Frankly, I've done all this stuff uh, to research and prepare for it. It wasn't until I used Reflect that I said, oh, this is something that's going to be huge, like Clearbit was. We're going to talk about both those companies then, and we can do it thanks to uh, two phenomenal sponsors. The first, if you're interested in DAOs, I do a podcast on decentralized autonomous organizations. Go to joinorigami.com slash podcast for that. And the second, if you're hiring a developer to add, for example, artificial intelligence to your software, you got to go and hire from lemon.io slash Mixergy. Alex, good to have you here. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Dude, what are you doing on a boat, by the way? I've never talked to someone from a boat uh, for an interview. Well, I live on a boat. I live on a boat in the Caribbean. Um, right now, we're actually talking of a Starlink. So we could thank uh, Elon for that. And it's going. this conversation is going through space, which is kind of amazing. Um, and I live on a catamaran. I create my own water. I have a bunch of solar panels that take energy from the sun. All of this is being powered by that. Um, and the reason I like doing that is because I grew up sailing. I love being on the water. And I've always thought that life is short and you should send it. And sailing around the world for me was, uh, you know, probably the highest on my list of like big adventures to do before you pop your clogs. So that's uh, why I decided to buy a boat and live on that. <laughs> and you're working full time on Reflect from the boat and you can concentrate and get work done? Yes, yes. Um, obviously, the boat takes priority. So if we're at anchor and we start dragging anchor, for example, then I'm going to stop coding and uh, and attend to that. But uh, in my downtime, yeah, I get quite a lot of time to work on Reflect. You know, I'm a programmer by trade. I absolutely love programming. So it would Reflect, the team's only four people. So every day I'm just programming, programming. Wow. And what do you do at night when you're done doing all this work? Can you go out and hang out or are you just sitting out and reading? <laughs> well, I often have friends coming through. So it's, it's typically hanging out with those friends, um, playing cards, making dinner, that kind of thing. So if you and I were like best buds, you might invite me out to wherever it is that you're docked. We'd get on a boat. I could see you're like, do I like this way this is going or not? But I'd get on the boat with you. We'd go sailing for like 10 days, hang out every night at the end of the day, at the end of the day. And then the next day I wake up, I do my own coding on my computer and the day repeats. So that's exactly what I've been doing um, the, la the last couple of weeks with a, wow. with a group sailing around the Grenadines. 
And yeah, it's, it's basically that bit of kite surfing as well, bit of coding, uh, just being with nature, a lot of swimming and, you know, hanging out with the turtles. <laughs> um, how big did clear bet clear bit get revenue wise? Uh, $50 million around there, roughly around there. How much? Uh, 50 million ARR. 15, 50 million annual recurring revenue. Super mm -hmm. impressive. From, uh, where'd you get the idea? Well, you know, some entrepreneurs plan their ideas. I happened just to fall into them, it seems. I'd come from Stripe. And as you guys know, Stripe is like heavily developer focused. And I wanted to do the same thing, but for data. In my mind, I had this idea that data had higher margins and was going to be um, a good business. And some of that's true. Some of that data had these other issues, of course, which we can get into. But um, I wanted to build a developer-first data company. And so we started out with a bunch of data APIs. And what we realized really quickly on was that people really liked a couple of these APIs. One that looked up email addresses and returned information about a person. And one that looked up domain names and returned information about a company. And what we realized when people were using the data from these APIs to better sell to their customers. You have to know your customers well to sell to them. The more you know, the better. And so people were using our data to get more context. But a lot of our customers ended up coming to us saying, hey, we want to use your product, but we don't really know what an API key is. Uh, and at that point, we started building out integrations into Salesforce and HubSpot and all these other CRMs. And that's when the business really started taking off. You know, in our first year, we made a million dollars. And then the second three and the third, seven million. So the business really started taking off. You know, and when in that year when we made seven million dollars, we had two sales reps. So... We had credit market fit for sure. I'm looking at an early version of your site. You had a social lookup, um, which was, let me see, send us an email address and we'll return all the associated social data, such as a person's name, Twitter handle, avatars, URLs, and more. Company lookup. You also had geolocation, address, autocomplete verification, watch list lookup, search uh, consolidated US, UK, Australian, et cetera, watch list of name matches in order to comply with financial regulations. I see, so you're just saying, what can we let people look up via API and give them access to? Mm. Yes, yeah, I mean, the actual company originally was called API Hub. <laughs> ah, okay. API Hub, .co, we didn't even get the .com. So, you know, we all start with humble beginnings. Like Stripe actually was called slash dev slash payments. <laughs> and uh, the slashes in the name caused all sorts of problems with like re registration with it, with the SEC and so on. So they had, they changed the name and they have a much more succinct name these days. And the same goes with API Hub changed to a clear bit. And so did you do any market research before to see what kind of data people are looking for? Or were you just giving it a hunch and saying, we'll get it all and we'll let them figure it out? No, um, I've never done any kind of market research. I, I do not recommend starting businesses like this. Uh, I recommend doing a lot more research than I do. Um, but it turns out all the businesses that I've started, I've done no research. Uh, they've just been scratching my own edge, something I've been interested in. 
the same goes with a reflex like you have to be quite nuts to start note taking application yeah uh, because there is you know maybe 30 or 40 competitors um and so the, i guess the less market research that you do the better if you're set on creating a note-taking company that's why I dismissed it. That's why I said, I'm never going to look at it. And then I, all right, we'll get back to that in a moment. Um, how did you get all that data? I remember when with Facebook, you used to be able to pop in a phone number and email address, and then they would say, is this your friend? And then you'd be able to, to get that information. And Facebook eventually shut it down for privacy reasons. And so as they were shutting down basic information like this, you were adding it. How did you get access to that? So to clarify, we only expose public professional information about a person, for example, such as, um, you know, where they work, their role in seniority. And then we were exposed about a hundred different company attributes like geolocation, like, like company category, so on. Most of that data we can get from the web. You know, we crawl company websites. Uh, we had quite advanced ML for the time. Uh, that would go and categorize companies. Um, and then the stuff that we couldn't do, uh, automatically, we would do program, uh, we, we would do with mechanical circus. So we had a huge amount of, um, humans that were also doing stuff manually. Um, and then we also built these free tools that would give to get models. So you would give us access to your emails. Um, and in return, you would be able to prospect and find new emails. So you didn't have deals with, I assumed you had a deal with LinkedIn early on, no? Yep. So I'm typing in an email. I'm going to just put your email address into uh, Google. And I don't think I'd be able to get it. I don't think I'd be able to get your name out of that. Actually, in that case, I did get your name out of it. But that's not, that's not what you did. I guess what you're saying is you just started to put your own LinkedIn together that was private information with email addresses, use that type of search and everything else you said, and you had your own database? Yeah, yeah. We sourced all the data. We bought some of it, but very little of it. Um, most, most of it we built up. Um, yeah, it's, it's tough work building a data company. There's a lot of... Um, data munging and uh, I call it plumbing, data plumbing. But yeah, essentially we built up our own database. What's the cleverest thing that you did that at the time you couldn't talk about, but now that we're reflecting, you can? Okay, I'll tell you one little secret that works really well. So early on in the company, we had this API for turning domain names into logos. So you could find a company's logo by giving us their domain name, their website. And we decided, hey, this is a really interesting API. Why don't we give it away for free as a free tool? Um, and um, the only thing we'll ask for in return is a link back. So if you wanted to put it on your website, you had to link back to clever.com. So we released this. It was insanely popular, top of hacking news for the day, and it's used all over the place, we have so many link backs, which means that Clibit can rank high for whatever search query we want. We have unbelievable SEO juice. And so that allowed you to, to get more customers. It wasn't about data doing that. That was about just straight up SEO and getting customers to your site. 
Yeah, that was that was why we did it. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, there's some data you can glean from that, like how many times the logo is being looked up. Um, but the majority of the the use of that API was in sending traffic back to Clearbase. Um traffic from previous websites that you were using the API, but also just making us rank really highly on the search engines so that if we made a new marketing page with a specific term that we were targeting, uh, we would rank at the top of that almost instantly on Google. You know, I see that Hacker News post. It's written by you in 2015. The other cool thing that you did was you allowed people to put the image on their site referencing clearbit.com um, and then it, the image would be on their site. So it was like image src equals etc. and then it's logo.clearbit.com slash in this case spotify.com. If I fill that in properly, I get Spotify's logo and you get your URL on my site forever. Yeah, so we get a link back. Exactly. So that okay. is uh, that, that is how search engines work. They look at the number of incoming links and they're like, oh, this website must be important and a lot of people are linking to it. I see. I see. I thought you were saying if anyone put the search on their site, then by putting the tool on their site, they, were, they had to give you credit. I see this super mm -hmm. clever. This is like the type of stuff that there are a few people in SEO who are good at and everyone else dismissed them completely. You jumped on it. How'd you figure that out? Where'd that idea come from? Oh, man. Where do ideas come from? The shower, <laughs> late okay. night. You know, it's uh, I that that is uh, really scouring the memory banks to think back then. But uh, yeah, we got we got lucky with that one. Uh, that's for sure. As you grew, what else did you do to I guess into getting uh, developers to know about you through posts like the ones I see on Hacker News? Where was helpful? Integrations was next. Those are super powerful, and, and there are companies built just on that, on, on developers finding them and integrations, but you've gone beyond. What was the next step beyond those two that allowed you, your company to grow? Well, for us, um, it was a combination of those two things. It was the APIs let us have direct integrations into other people's products. So, uh, for example, Drift uses our data um, to... Uh, enhance their product. And we, we, you can look at Clibus website to, to see more examples. But a lot, there's a lot of the industry that uses Clibit as the backbone for some of the features of their own products. Um, and then when it comes to the other integrations, like that's when the company really started taking off. You know, data is useful only if it's in a place where it can be used. If it's in a place where there's some kind of workflows and you can take action on that data. So we, as soon as we built out the Salesforce integration, like that is when the company started taking off, you know, uh, like almost all of our customers use Salesforce and it's, you know, having our data inside of Salesforce where they can do automatic lead scoring based on it, uh, is so valuable. And a lot of these companies have freemium models where they have a lot of signups and they don't know which ones to concentrate and focus on and which yeah. ones not to. Um, and our data would let you do that analysis programmatically so that you can take your, your segment of qualified customers, give that to your sales team and make sure all of your attention's on them. Yeah, I remember uh, one company using you 
to take anyone who was signing up for a free or even paid account, analyze the company they were with, and then if they seemed like they were a good prospect, just based on Clearbit, they had these SDRs who would do nothing but try to set up an appointment for those people with the salespeople of the company, and that was a huge marketing push for them that allowed them to get the bigger customers that they wouldn't have access to otherwise because they're they're a, a small SaaS company. Yeah, and then the other thing, a couple of years into the company, uh, we built this API called the Reveal API that de-anonymizes IP addresses uh, to the company level. So you can essentially give us an IP address and we give you back the company domain that's visiting. But this is amazing because up till now, you have no idea who's visiting your website. It's just a complete black box. Um, and so you have no idea if your marketing campaigns are working, if you're driving qualified traffic. Um, and you also can't customize the website. I, a lot of these B2B companies have a really narrow target customer. And they want to make sure that if that customer hits their website, they get the white glove experience. So using that API, now you can know he's on your website. It's really cool. So you can actually like pop up a chat box, for example, with the company name in it and saying, hey, qualified company, uh, you know, chat, chat to us, buy our stuff uh, if, they, if they're in a specific segment. I think I've seen that with Drift where I was at a Regis office and Drift for some reason kept thinking that Regis was IBM. Um, I guess because of the way that they were set up. So it wasn't perfect, but it was cool that it would say IBM is using this for, this is good for IBM. And I could see that a few companies uh, were targeting me and talking to me based on the fact that I seem to have been from IBM. Um, so the, the initial sales were people were finding you in Salesforce's marketplace individuals were adding you is that right and then they would be upsold to the full paid version it wasn't salesforce that had to deal with you in the beginning so we thought the Salesforce marketplace was going to be a good acquisition channel we spent a lot of time building out the products and integration specifically for that marketplace it's a terrible channel then we didn't get any customers through it at all wow um yeah um so i, mean, I think part of the problem is that no one just tries out a Salesforce package. Salesforce is an unbelievably complex database, which you can very easily mess up with the wrong configuration. And your um, head of sales ops is not going to try random Salesforce packages because they know they'll get fired if they bring down Salesforce. Uh, so no one tried our package through that. Um, no, I'm, our lead source was word of mouth initially, and now we have an outbound team as well doing prospecting. But for many years, it was just built, try and build the best products and then make, use word of mouth to, to scale. Um, and I mean, that's not quite true. So we also did your conventional B2B marketing stuff, right? We did Facebook ads and LinkedIn ads and what have you. And we actually used our own data for that as well. Um, so we built very targeted Facebook audiences, um, just targeting companies that use Salesforce, for example. And, and in fact, we actually ended up building a product around that because we thought it was so useful. You mean a product for companies that were trying to find other businesses to sell to the way that you did? Yeah, you know, the odd thing about Facebook ads and Facebook ad targeting 
is that there's no company targeting in there. They haven't got any company criteria at all, uh, which is bizarre because B2B advertising is huge. So if you want to target someone who works in this specific org, it's very difficult. Um, so we ended up building um, that tool internally so we could target specific companies. Um, and then we also had other data to see which products specific companies were using. So then we could target all the companies that were using Salesforce with a certain employee range um, that were in on target market, essentially. And we could build Facebook audiences around that. Uh, and then we were like, wow, this is such a useful tool. We should really productize that. And we did. And the way you targeted where people were was by connecting it back to the API. And then you, you it's like basically Facebook retargeting based on the uh, not the API. Facebook the, lets uh, you IP, upload. IP address. Yeah, Facebook. No, that wasn't using IP addresses. So Facebook uses uh, Facebook audiences that you upload emails. Mm-hmm. So we would upload uh, emails on people that are in the target audience. Uh, got it. Oh, that makes so much sense. All right, let me just make sure that I understand that initial sales though. When selling to the Facebook, when selling to the Salesforce marketplace didn't work, who did you sell to that enabled Salesforce users to get information on the people who are in their database? Well, we had a Salesforce integration. Um, Salesforce marketplace is incredibly complex. There are different types of apps. Some are kind of behind the scenes and some are in the app store. And there's a lot of different requirements for both of those things. Um, We started with the app that was behind the scenes where we could install it on our customers' Salesforce instances and then use it to enrich their data. But we weren't actually listed in the Salesforce app exchange. And then down the line, we thought it was a good idea because we, we figured it might be a great lead source to be in the app exchange. Uh, but it was it was a terrible lead source and never resulted in any leads. It was a lot of wasted work. All right, let me tell people, if you're looking to um, explore a new way that organizations are forming, that they're being led, that they're being run and grown, there's something called the Decentralized Autonomous Organization. Alex, do you know much about these DAOs? Are you into them at no. all? No. No. I, I talked to one where the this guy who put who turned all the phone booths in Manhattan into Wi-Fi hotspots. That was his previous business. He then, unlike you, where you went to the uh, on a boat, he decided he wanted to go live van life. And he said, you know what, van life is pretty good. The problem is it gets lonely. You'd like to get a bunch of people together who are also in vans to hang out at night. And and so what he did was he said, I'm going to create a company to do that. He started it in a traditional way, and then he said, well, why am I picking where we live? How about they all pick? Why am I being the only person who who leads this right down to what people are eating every night? He goes, let's just do a new thing. And so he formed it into a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization. It's called KIFT. And they vote on things like what vegetarian food are they going to have at night? Where should they buy land? And how much should they charge people like Andrew who are not part of the community who want to just come and visit? And they get to do it all together. And I interviewed him and I interviewed a lot of other people who are who are starting organizations this way. If you're at all curious about it, Alex, and people who are listening to me, use your Starlink, use whatever you got to download this podcast. It's uh, it's from Origami. Origami is a company that creates and builds DAOs. And so go to their website. It's joinorigami.com slash podcast. Joinorigami.com slash podcast. Um, you took money initially from, you raised money from uh, um, First Round, right? And a few other angels? 
Yeah. So for a long time, the company was just me. Um, I was just hacking on it in my bedroom, essentially, for six months. Uh, eventually, it got to the point where I was like, you know, I should go out and raise money. In fact, my original plan was to uh, join YC. So at this point, I had a company, had a lot of customers. It was, in fact, it was profitable around that point. Uh, so I applied to YC. This is, I think, the second time I applied to YC. Um, and uh, they turned me down. Part of the reason was that I was a single founder, and they have this bias against solo founders that I think is uh, is wrong. I think it's quite wrong, and I think they're looking at that their own data wrong, and we can get into that if you want. But that was one bias. And then the other thing was they told me I couldn't do B2B sales. Uh, you know, I was an engineer, and, and they didn't think I could do that. Um, so I came home from my interview, licked my wounds, and was like, you know what, I'm just going to go out and raise a conventional round. Within a, t- a couple of weeks, we'd raised uh, 2 million and we ended up raising uh, 3 million as part of that early seed round. And, uh, and then, then that was when I hired out the early team and the business started really getting rolling. Uh, you raised two million. I think you. I'm looking at the list of investors. Some of them worked at different uh, venture firms, I think, but they were just friends from the tech community. Well, we started out with an angel round uh, that was just my friends and people I, I had met. You know, because I'd been in Silicon Valley for a couple of years at that point, uh, and then as these things do, it quickly ballooned into a like a conventional round. First round okay. capital joins and a bunch of other investors. Um, I can tell you for what it's worth, first round capital is probably one of my favorite investors of all time. I mean, I would absolutely work with them again. And that's saying a lot. You know, I tend to be very skeptical of uh, VCs in general. I have avoided VC completely for my second company. Um, but, you know, some of the VCs that I've worked with have been, been absolutely stellar. I feel like there was a period there where we all appreciated first round and then they got, I don't know, overlooked as Y Combinator sucked all the oxygen out of the early stage uh, environment. But what was it that made them such good investors? They're founder friendly, you know, in this market, it's really interesting that you, you can tell who's founder friendly and who's not. It's all... All sunshine and rainbows when the interest rates are low and the times are booming. But when the time's tough, that's when you start to see people's true colors. And a lot of investors' true colors are not great. Um, first round capital, I can tell you, like, for example, Clibbert had a bunch of money with SVB and they were willing to, um, you know, give us a loan to help me payroll. And wow. I, I was, it was huge to them, um, and and so I will always be grateful to them, to them for that. What about Ilya Sukar? I've seen him. He worked, I think, at Etax, which was, I think, a company that I interviewed or tried to interview early on. But I'm looking at his LinkedIn uh, profile. He was a Y Combinator partner, I think, at the time that you were rejected. Yeah, I don't know. He certainly wasn't in the interview. Um, 
I abs- I highly recommend him as well. He's fantastic. Uh, he now works in Matrix, and Matrix is a very very good firm to raise from if you are raising uh, for a B two B SaaS company. Um, they might do other things these days, but when I was talking to them, I was so impressed by all the partners, um, and it is one of my favorite. I'm pretty sure I interviewed Ilya. Like I'm looking at my site, I think in 2010, with Hayzap, who uh, one of the co-founders went on to create Mercury, I think, uh, the bank, and a couple of others. Uh, founder of Posturus. Anyway, uh, all right, really impressive group of people. Do you, why did you leave the company? Yet you were onto something, and you hadn't IPO'd or sold. Yeah. Well, there's this myth that goes around Silicon Valley that if you don't personally IPO your company, uh, you are a failure. Uh, and this myth causes a lot of pain, a lot of founder pain. Ultimately, it should be a very objective decision. Are you the right person for the job? Are you the right person? Just because you founded the company doesn't necessarily mean you should be the one to scale it. Running a 10, 20 person company is very different than running a 100, 200 person company. And when I looked at what Clever needed for the coming years, and I looked at my own skills, and I had an honest conversation with myself, there's one edge. Like I, my skills did not overlap. What I'm really good at is zero to one. I am, I am, I'm very good at starting businesses. And, you know, I'm a one-man band. I can code and design and, and do everything. And I love it. That is the part that I love the most. And it's the part that I'm the best at. Why should I do any other parts? Uh, there are people that are really good at scaling businesses. Like, we should hire those people to scale the businesses. If you're a founder and you want to scale it, by all means, do it. Especially if you're good at it. But if you're not good at it or you don't want to do it, don't do it. Hire someone else to do it. Life's really short. You know, ultimately, the more you can get over your own ego, the happier you're going to be. Do you remember the first day that you had left Clearbit and entered this world of living on a boat and sailing around the world? Yeah, well, yeah, so that was a bit of time in between. Um, you know, I was, it took a year for the built, boat to be built. So I was uh, kind of twiddling my thumbs, uh, staying with friends and sleeping on couches and things until the boat was finished. But yeah, it was a good feeling, I could tell you. Um, ultimately, getting back to my roots, studying businesses, it was certainly bittersweet. You know, when you build a company, I think I had built, I'd been there for five years. It becomes part of you. It's it's like uh, you know an arm or some kind of a core organ to you. So it's like it's it's difficult to extract yourself from it um, emotionally, personally, and of course uh, internally in the company is difficult. But if you hire someone great, they can take on the mantle, and ultimately uh, it is a company. You know, it is it's. It is different from you. And a lot of founders struggle with that. They think they are the company. In reality, it is just a business. And, uh, and you are a person. And those are very different things. How big is the boat? 
<laughs> uh, probably it's 52 foot. Okay. I had the sense just looking over your shoulder that it was a much smaller operation. And then you told me that you spent a year waiting for it to be built. Wow. Where's the first place you took it? Well, the first thing I did was sail it from South Africa to the Caribbean. So uh, across wow. the Atlantic. Wow. Um, How was it? It was, it was an experience, like 30 days, uh, no land, just water with uh, four friends and one captain. And it was, you know, it, it was beautiful and it was tough and it was it's kind of like a, a meditation in, in some aspects. We didn't have much internet access. We only had like a trickle of dial-up internet, essentially, that we could send emails over. Um, but yeah, I'll never forget it, especially the stars. You know, the stars at night. You can see the entire Milky Way above you. I mean, I'm a massive believer in technology, but one of the few things I think technology has taken from us is other stars. And it's really sad, you know, that people, like, up to a few hundred years ago, all of our ancestors were looking up every night and thinking about their place in the universe and wondering. And we kind of lose, we've lost that. And I, and I wonder if that, that's like, this seems like a significant part of being a human that we've lost this, this kind of objectiveness that we can zoom out and see yourself in comparison to the universe and, and wonder. And so that's actually one of the reasons I got this boat as well. The boat's called Stargazer for, <laughs> you know, I grew up in New York and I really didn't believe that people could see the stars for most of my childhood. I just thought the stars are some things that are up there. It's kind of like a planet. You don't look up and see a planet. I guess you do. I learned as an adult. Um, and now I moved to Austin about a year ago and I look out in the backyard and I see the stars and I keep telling everyone I didn't think that was possible as a kid. And I think they must be tired yeah. of hearing me say that. And I don't think people believe <laughs> that there's a world where you can't see the stars. But go in Manhattan. You can't see the stars. Yeah, I mean, there is a dystopian future among us where the stars are like, um, you know, a myth, you know, a distant memory where people are like, do they really exist when this, the world is one large city? But I do, I do highly recommend you go somewhere like middle of New Zealand where you can see the actual Milky Way, where that is a life-changing experience. All right, let's talk about Reflect. Dude, I've looked at your site over the years. I look at everything about you. I've gone over and I see in your Twitter, everything is well-designed right down to like every last hair on your head. It's just like in a good position. And your app Reflect reflects that. Beautiful freaking app. I didn't expect it, but I should have. What I'm, And I also, also love that it doesn't seem like you have access to my data. You're letting me, kind of like the way 1Password does, create a recovery file, right? You're nodding just for the audience to hear. You don't have access to my data. I get access to my data, which gives me such a sense of calm when I write down stuff. I want a place where I can write down the stuff that I'm too embarrassed to tell my wife, too embarrassed to even yeah. think, and better yet, I don't want to even write it down. Sometimes I just want to talk it through, and I use dictation, and you have built into the software. Is it your own dictation, or are you, are you feeding off of... Uh, my computer using dictation. whisper, whisper? We're using, oh yeah yeah it's so incredible that's so good yeah all right yeah why so why do you need uh, you... to do this take me to why <laughs> does a guy who's smart like you feel like a call to go and create another note app <laughs> well that's a great question um so when i was leaving clearbit 
I obviously was going to start another company. It's, it's what I love doing the most in the world. Uh, and I was kind of scouring around for different ideas. And one of the things I wanted to do differently around Clearbit was rather than pick the um, kind of market, I wanted to pick my customer base. So I wanted to make a product for people that I really enjoyed hanging out with. Um, because it turns out when you are doing product development, you hang out a lot with your customers. And the more you like your customers, the better the product is. So that was one of the criteria. And the other thing was I wanted to try my hand at B2C. I wanted just to have a small company. You know, B2B companies, they are so much easier than B2C. But uh, one of the hardest, harder things about B2B companies is the large team size. Like you have to scale up a large sales and marketing team. So I wanted a small team. I wanted to be B2C. I wanted to build people that I love. And then I wanted to build something that I use every day. Again, another advantage of B2C. And so I was like, you know what? I love writing. So I'm going to build something on my dock that I use every day. It's going to involve writing. And I got yet another notes app. <laughs> uh, so, so that was the amount of market analysis I did. I didn't really look at competitors or what have you. It was a very personal decision about what I wanted to build. Um, I wanted to craft an experience. I wanted to control every pixel. I wanted to create something really, really beautiful. These notes apps, like not just uh, reflect, but a lot of them are just incredible tools for self-growth. I can't imagine growing personally without taking notes every day. It is like a fundamental part of of my life at this point. I How do treat you do my it? notes well. What, I, what's I'll, your process? Yeah, let me get into that. So um, I treat my notes as essentially a, a second brain. So everything flows out into my notes, and I typically don't do my thinking in my head. Right. It, it's not until it's flowed out of myself into the paper that or you know, and to reflect that I can actually think about it and analyze it. Um, it's very important part of being objective um, and actually and rational, seeing all of your thoughts, uh, especially about your personal life in, in, in the page. End-to-end -end encryption was a really important part of that product because I wanted a place where people felt really safe that, your notes are the most sensitive things that you have. Full stop. Hey, I, I can't think of any, any, any more sensitive data. It's your innermost thoughts that you won't share with anyone, let alone a note-taking startup. So we wanted to make sure that we had end-to-end -end encryption. It vastly complicated the uh, building of Reflect, but it was worth it. And so you asked about my routine. So every morning... I go into Reflect and Reflect that she has a new note that is created every single day. And the notes are in a timeline. You can go back infinitely and you can go forward infinitely. You can go and see what you thought about something in the past and you can write notes to yourself in the future. Uh, and, and this actually turns out our memory works like this. So our memory uses time and it uses associations. 
it doesn't really use hierarchy. It uses time and associations. Um, and so I wanted to build a product specifically around these two things. Um, we have a way of associating notes and reflect using something called backlinking. Um, so often when you've forgotten something, you'll be like, God, I can't place my mind on whatever that thing is I've forgotten, but I can remember things around it. I can't remember that guy's name, but I know that you used to work at this company or used to be in the city. So that's, we basically remember through associations. Now in Reflect, all those associations are stored and they're stored in digitally. So there's no loss. So you can follow those associations. You can take whatever you do remember and follow that path to find what you've forgotten. I wonder if maybe calling it a journal instead of a note-taking app would have, would have communicated that faster. But that was an intentional decision, right? That is a great point. I mean, Andrew, you are much better at marketing than me. And maybe, uh, maybe we should have called it a journal. And we will test that. That's a good point. If you're willing to take more feedback from me, one other thing I'd suggest is the, the speed to write a note is more important to me than the speed to find a note. And so I would love it if the plus button to add a note was on the bottom of the screen instead oh, on the of the all notes. Yeah, like if you're, I'm gonna shut my screen off just so no one sees it's on my screen or you don't. But you know, you just wanna quickly grab and just take a quick note and, and go. Um, yeah, I, you're right. Okay, here's, here's uh, what you should do. Double tap on the daily icon. Okay, let me try that. Okay. I would even say, I like that. I didn't know that. I like these. I like that you're keyboard heavy and I like that yeah. you're also um, like the way that Apple used to be. You'd hide the features that power users need so that new yeah. users don't get intimidated. I would all, but I, for me, it's the audio. I could be, I could be a wacko mm. in this, but there's nothing like for thinking, just talking it through. I Which agree. is why even though we've gone remote with therapy, we still have us talk to the therapist instead of chat with the therapist. Yeah. I just want to be able to hit a button and go. And even in, in uh, day one, they used to have a button on the bottom that let you record, but maybe not enough people used it. So now they've hidden it. So take it with a grain of salt. Take it for what it is, one person's feedback. But the ability to just hit a button and just here's what's going on. I just finished a call with this person. I just talked to this person. I'm trying yeah. to figure out how to adjust my day. Just boom and go. Maybe that's more of a widget. Um, you, you know what? That's such a great idea. We'll add that to the lock screen. Yeah, that'll be, we can add that as a widget so you can just hit that's it on the lock screen. And now I couldn't tell why you were smiling earlier when I said artificial intelligence. I want AI. And I, I'm just now opening up your app in a um, uh, in private mode on, on Safari. And I see at the very top AI has landed. So you have it. How do you do artificial intelligence in a secure environment? Uh, the, the Verge did a whole episode on this and the challenge of it. And a lot of people are remaking their software and taking away privacy so they could add AI. What are you going to do? That is a very good point. And it's something that I have struggled with a lot. So uh, this is the line in the sand that we have drawn. You have to explicitly select text and then click our AI feature and then perform some kind of operation on that text for that text to be sent to OpenAI. Uh, so for example, 
uh, we we have a bunch of system prompts in there. You can select text. One of my favorite ones is actually taking an audio transcription and selecting it, and then selecting acts as copy editor, and it will go through and it will just clean it up. It'll add punctuation Dude. and paragraphs. Yes. And it is, it is so nice. Um, but we, you have to explicitly do that. So we don't send your notes to OpenAI. If you don't use the feature at all, none of your data gets shared. Um, that's the line in the sand we have uh, picked. But uh, we also have invested heavily in running models on the client. So wow. we have a bunch of projects that we've invested in that will essentially allow you to run some of these smaller models on the client. These are going to be great for things like spell and grammar correction. OSX's native spell and grammar correction is abysmal. And and I don't understand why they haven't fixed it. Uh, So we're going to just build our own into the app and we're going to use, we're going to run a model model locally. Um, we're also going to do embeddings locally as well, so you can start to see similar notes, searching by meaning rather than exact note content. Like all of this stuff is coming. But for today, what we have, ag- what we've given that people access to is GPT-4. So we were one of the first people to actually receive GPT-4 API access, and we put it straight into Reflex. And not only do we have these system prompts, but we have these custom prompts as well. So you can build little workflows and this is, I find amazing. Let me give you an example. So I have a bunch of uh, favorite writers. One of these writers is Hugh Howey. He writes some science fiction. He, he's been around for a long time. His, all of his books are in AI's training set. The, the AI understands what the idea of a Hugh Howey is, okay? So what I can do is select a couple of bullet points that I'm trying to turn into a paragraph. And I have a custom prompt that says, I could just hit, that says, convert into a paragraph as written in the style of Hugh Howie. And it just produces a beautifully phrased paragraph. Like GPT-4 is amazing at doing this. Uh, and it's like, it speeds up my writing considerably. All right. In that case, then, I don't know that you should call it a journal because you're really helping me think through writing that I could share beyond my own world. It's, And I, I love the custom prompt. Notion doesn't do that, unfortunately. And so I, I have, for example, the same set of links that I want for everyone. I want to know what you look like on SimilarWeb. I want to know what you look like on archive.org. It's a simple concatenation. I just need an easy way to do that. Prompts like you could rewrite them every time, save them in a notebook, or just have the system know this is what Andrew's looking for. All right, what about this? The ideal thing for me is to be able to find the notes using AI, to be able to ask a question, to say, what was I thinking about um, marriage over the years? And then get a whole thing. What was I thinking about whatever work over the years and get get a list? Yeah. Could you do that? It'll happen, yeah. Like we... we... Like I said, we have that line in the sand where we're not going to proactively send your notes to OpenAI, um, which I think is very important. You know, there is we have competitors that will just send everything to them. Um, we're never going to do that. I think we are seeing such fast progress in AI that we'll be able to run a GBD model 
GPT three, four size model on the clients soon. I think within a year, year, year and a half. Okay. When, when that's possible, then absolutely. We'll just feed all your notes to this AI locally and you can ask it any questions. It can be like the, the ultimate work buddy. Like you and this AI can just work together. It can, it can know all this context about you, what you've thought in the past, um, and it can help you in, in the present. And also, very timely, today I released an, an open source project called OpenPM, openpm.ai. You can check it out. It is a app store for AIs. So it's, a, it's essentially... OpenPN? OpenPM. PM, got it, PM, yeah. It stands for Open Package Manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a, uh, it's, it's a, right now it's essentially a directory listing of open API files. I don't want to get too technical, but ultimately this AI is going to need to know what are the APIs available? You know, what, if this AI wants to take action in the real world, if it wants to order you an Uber, it needs to know about the concept of an Uber and how to trigger an API call to Uber and this will do it. So essentially at some point in Reflex, you will be able to have a little chatbot that can order Ubers, Instacarts, like what, what have you, everything will be in there. I think that's, we're going to start to see that in everything, um, that the new operating system will be a conversation with an AI, but coming to Reflect, uh, to the app, I think that's why as soon as I saw what AI could do, I started journaling more so that I have more records of what I'm doing and have more to go back and 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 search and understand. Like if I know a year from now, I'll be able to ask a question like, what was I thinking about work over this last year? The AI will know work-related uh, notes that I've taken. I just have to take those notes. And the fastest way for me to do it is just talk it through. And then the upside of talking it through is I end up coming up with a new understanding of a problem that has just been rattling around in my head or I've been neglecting because I thought it was unsolvable. And that is the beauty of this. I feel like um, everybody now has got to find a way to take notes. And, and, and the way that I got it, by the way, Alex, was this. I did this interview. I couldn't freaking remember what the guy said. My My... My process in the past was to just do a keyword search for what he said. And I go, wait, I'm dumping the whole transcript into Notion. I'm going to start asking questions. How much did he say he sold this company for? Boom, I get the answer. What did he say he did? And then things that I understood, the AI understood better and differently than I did. Sometimes I come at an interview with a preconceived notion. And then it turns out I I was wrong. So, So what you could do is turn all of those questions into a custom prompt. Uh, and reflect, and then every single time you do an interview, paste the transcript, and then run your prompt, and it will say, like, it'll give all those key stats. It will wait a minute. It could right now do that. I don't have to highlight the text. It'll as long as it's on the page. And if I'm doing no, a search, you, you have to highlight the text. But you could create a custom prompt which has all the standard uh, interview questions that you want to, all the, the questions that you have mm. that you extract from the interview. Um, like the revenue company, what, what happened? Right. 
So I could have a custom prompt that says, give me this, give me, tell me mm-hmm. what the person was doing before, tell me where the idea came from, who are the co-founders, what's the first step they took, I get the whole thing filled out, and then exactly. boom. And you could ask it to write the blog post, you know, announcing the podcast. And what will it take long text? I know if I go if I go into um, some apps, I could do long text. I pay for Notion's uh, uh, premium version. I can't do long text in that. It, 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 there are limits. We actually had to add limits, sadly, after someone racked up a two thousand dollar bill in one day. Um, but the the limits are quite high. Um, and if you do hit a limit, you can just put your in your own open AI API key into there. And then it's unrestricted. And then I could get my own. I could have a long transcript, and it'll it'll uh, give me mm-hmm. feedback on that. Yeah, oh, that's really so, interesting. Yeah, so we also now support uh, passing transcripts um, or conversations more than thirty minutes as well. So you can uh, you can do a really long transcript at this point. Uh, the preferences. Okay, I I should say by the way, anyone who wants to add AI to their software and doesn't have somebody on staff to do it, you should go to Lemon Lemon.io/mixergy. They'll connect you with great developers who will help you do all this, guaranteed. And if you use my URL, I guarantee that I'm going to get credit for it. But also, more importantly, they're going to give you a lower price than they give other people. Go to Lemon.io/mixergy right freaking now. I'm going into your site to see where I can. Oh, there! I didn't even see that I could scroll up and add the API. All right. Give me some tips for people who are who want to who, who want to learn from your experience for taking notes. What is it about your note taking process that you can teach us so that we could be more productive with our because of our note taking? Yeah, let me take you through the template that I use every day. The and reflects and then and I don't want to just pitch reflects here. Most note taking apps have some kind of this feature. So you should, whatever note taking app you're using, you should be able to do something like this. Just make sure you're taking notes, okay? So we have a template feature in Reflect, uh, and every morning I enter my template, and it starts out with like four bullets: what I'm grateful for, what's on my mind, what I'm working on, and my daily habits. Okay, so this I think is just a great way of structuring your day. It starts out with a gratitude practice. And that is, I think, one of the key ways of staying happy. Uh, and then you can elucidate whatever's on your mind. And you can talk about what you're working on. Daily habits is really interesting. So this is how you change your life. Like any kind of goal that you want, you want to be fitter, if you uh, want to be better at business, or you want to... Uh, be more calm or you, you, you want to meditate or whatever it is, it involves a habit. Like, it's, it's no good at just having a goal. So actually having your habits in reflect or whatever you're on a ticking t- tool is and just being able to crush them off every day so you make sure you do your daily habit. And that is an amazing tool for self-growth. I'm doing all this, by the way. That's why you lost me there for a second. I'm I'm realizing, oh yeah, I could put bull, I could put uh, to dos in here. Um, and how do I trigger? Just to, this is going to be like a tech support just for me. I want to add dictation within in, within a, a note. How do I add dictation? Do I hit the dictation next to the search bar? So right, right now, our dictation is quite is quite dumb. So it'll just insert it into your daily note 
top level. Um, Always so, just the daily node top level. Yeah, yeah. Okay. At, at some point, we will have dictations into specific areas of the node. Okay. Dictation on the Mac is a nightmare. You have to hit the dictation button. They finally gave you a dedicated button. It doesn't work. You have to hit it twice, and then it might work, and then the next time it'll work instantly, but, right? It doesn't understand me. I think my, I mean, I'm British, and I think I've been in the States for a decade. My accent is totally messed up. Uh, it doesn't understand me at all. I actually have to put on a fake American accent for it to start <laughs> transcribing properly. Um, but OpenAI, they released this technology called Whisper, and they open sourced it. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh, and this has got near human level transcription ability. It's unbelievable. All right. Bottom line for me personally, if I'm using this today, take notes using the process that you just described. If I want to find, um, if I want to find what that process was, I copy and paste the transcript into a note, and then I query it using AI and say, "What was it that he said? Give me a list. Of, give me a bullet point list or anything that I want to query within a note. Just hit. I think it's Command J. Yeah, Command J to ask anything. And then, can I today ask? questions of past notes can i say i have 10 notes for the week i want to go and ask no not yet not today it's but, just the individual uh, note that's something that we're going to work on is that right yeah we're going to work on that as soon as we get the models running on the client all right i think you've hit on something really really um surprisingly good i don't think any of us would have expected that we need another note-taking app i don't think any of us even would have thought that we need another app for, um, uh, for, for journaling even. The thing is that there's just a new way of communicating with ourselves, with our ideas, and it's got AI all over it. And the, the tools that exist today have to find a way to retrofit it, but you're early on and you can just naturally put it in. And you've started with an app that calls for something like this. All right. Yeah. Yeah, well, you're very kind, Andrew. That's, that's very kind of you. I'm really it, not. It, I'm kind of an asshole. <laughs> Ask anyone. <laughs> I mean, I get it's excited really, sometimes. It's really started to take off. You know, for your your listeners might be interested in like some context very quickly about the business, but business is bootstrapped or at least was for a long time, and then we raised from our customers, uh, and we're going to try and pay them a dividend. So it, we are basically running a tech company backwards. Like no one has ever done this before. Um, but it looks like we're going to pull it off. Like we are, are on track to be profitable this year. We grew twenty percent in the last month. We're about um, what's the revenue right K now? Monthly revenue now, and with about a couple of thousand customers, we need to hit fifty k monthly revenue to be profitable. And boy, do, are we growing! I think we've just like touched some kind of nerve recently. All right. Congratulations. Thanks for being on here. For everyone who's interested, the site is reflect.app. Thanks, Alex. Enjoy boating around. Thank you so much, Andrew. You bet. Bye, everyone.